Hello and welcome to the Turtle Tracks Podcast. This is your host, Brian Van Hooker, and I'm here today with a senior editor from IDW Comics, Bobby Kernow. How you doing, Bobby? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Brian. Oh, thanks for doing this. Um, so, uh, for those who don't know, IDW Comics has had the Turtles comics since 2013? 14? Uh, that sounds about right. Uh, we're working on issue 80 right now, so that's that's seven years. So, yeah, I guess it's earlier. I guess it's about uh, 2011, probably. Oh, that's right. It predates the Nicktoon. I forget that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. And they the trade over in two thousand nine. So, and and rec- as of recently, uh, the IDW Ninja Turtles line is the longest running uh, Ninja Turtles comic book ever. That's right. We're all pretty proud of that. Yeah. How was that landmark? So that was with issue number seventy three, if I'm not mistaken. How was that landmark taken over there? It was. It was. I mean, it's weird. It's it's one of those things where. You know, we've been working on the on the comic month to month uh, for, for, like I said, for several years, uh, and so you know, it's, you don't really get many opportunities to kind of stop and take stock of something like that. Uh, but this was an opportunity where we were able to, and, uh, and being there with Kevin Eastman uh, working on the on the book, it's I think we all realized it's, it was something kind of special. Yeah, and and telling saying this as a fan, like I, I'm somebody who's like always been a fan of the Turtles, so when this book came out, I was like aware of it and like was excited about it so i it is really something special it's a fantastic comic book awesome thank you very much so i'm curious how how did it come about like when i know nickelodeon acquired the rights in like 09 when did they approach did they approach nickelodeon Nickelodeon approach idw or vice versa how did this comic come to be you know, I can't speak too much to the very, very, very early beginnings. Uh, I just started at IDW in 2010. Uh, so by the time that uh, we were talking about getting the license, uh, I was an assistant editor. So uh, being a lowly assistant editor, we don't, we're not too much involved in the, in the deal making, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, but, you know, I knew that, uh, that uh, Nickelodeon was, was searching uh, for a comic books partner. Uh, and so different publishers were, were pitching, um, and uh, you know we, we, we sent a couple different things to them. But what I think really resonated was Tom Waltz, who is another editor at the company and uh, and is the is the scriptwriter on the series. Uh, he, he put together a proposal that I think really resonated with them. Had a nice mix of of old and new, uh, and that's kind of how it got started. Uh, and we talked for a long time. Uh, about different creators being involved, um, and we all kind of thought Kevin Kevin Eastman uh, was done with Turtles because uh, he sold his stake uh, in the Turtles before Peter Laird. Uh, but you know, we talked to him, uh, and you know, he, I guess he, he had enough time away. And he was eager to come back to the property, uh, so we brought him on board, uh, uh, and then and then everything just kind of snowballed from there, and uh, we were we were on our way. So I'm curious. So, so, uh, like, how did the how's the story process begin? Did it begin with Tom Waltz and Kevin Wade's in, or how does it all kind of come together now? It's evolved over the years. Uh, at the beginning, it, it, was, it was when we were really just trying to get everything out uh, pretty quickly. Uh, it, was, it was Tom would write up a proposal uh, and then work on the script, and Kevin would Kevin and I would give notes uh, along the way. It's kind of evolved over time where uh, we'll, the three of us will have what we call our, call our mind meld sessions, 
Uh, we'll sit around, we'll talk about where the book's been, where we'd like the book to go. Uh, and based on that, those meetings, I'll usually I'm the one who uh, now draws up a kind of a paragraph by paragraph uh, outline of the issue that usually you know says, okay, the first five pages will be our introductory scene where Casey Jones is fighting uh, Hun or the Purple Dragons, whatever's happening in the issue. Uh, and then Tom will take that uh, and uh, and write the full script, the traditional full script from that. Um, and, and sometimes Kevin will give notes on the script, uh, but really uh, Kevin is involved in the very early uh, in-person brainstorming sessions. Um, and, you know, he, he's reading the books uh, as they come out too, and we'll, and we'll give notes uh, from here to there. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of, a, it's a nice collaborative process uh, that with, uh, with Tom kind of doing the, the lion's share of the work and writing the actual script. Now, for the overall arcs and everything, I mean, I, I know that you guys uh, were very uh, open about the fact that you planned, like, a very distinct arc from episode from issue one to issue 50. Um, is that correct? Yeah, that's accurate. So, like, was there any sort of, um, uh, like, was that, like, was that dreamed up all by Tom and Kevin and all you guys together? Or was it, like, a singular vision that Tom had from the start? No, uh, I'd say, you know, Tom was, I'd say the first 12 issues are, are, are largely all Tom, uh, with, with Kevin and I making some small notes here and there, but, uh, once we were able to kind of get our feet under us, we were able to, uh, and that's, and by that point we knew the book was successful, uh, and we knew we could start thinking about as far as issue, uh, 50. Uh, so usually what we do is, is we have a very, we, we had a very loose idea of, uh, of how we wanted up to number 50 to go. We, we knew that we wanted uh, Shredder to die in number 50. Spoilers, sorry. Uh, no, we're going to talk plenty about uh, issue 50 anyway, so yeah, that there's going to be plenty of spoilers from issue 50. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, years in the past, I think it's fair game. Yeah. Um, so Shredder dies, uh, Splinter taking over the Foot Clan. Uh, we wanted them to be a, to be a big a battle. There's a bunch of things we wanted to hit along the way. There's characters we wanted to introduce. We wanted to introduce uh, Bebop and Rocksteady, Rat King, um, a lot of the a lot of the main characters, Fugitoid, a lot of the main characters uh, that you see in the first few years of the book. Uh, obviously, Casey Jones in April. Uh, we wanted to kind of set up all the major characters uh, and and kind of inhabit uh, the main overarching uh, theme be. Uh, Shredder as the as the main antagonist, uh, along with Krang and the Technodrome. Um, so, the, so those you know those were our main those were our main goals is to kind of deal with those two villains uh, and reach that status quo at the end. But how we got there, uh, you know, we, we, we look more in depth. We always have the next year pretty pretty well planned out uh, in detail. But beyond that, uh, we'll have a general idea of stories we want to hit, characters we want to hit. Um, but the, but sometimes that'll, if it's more than a year out, sometimes details will shift as, as the story develops. You just, uh, maybe, maybe something we planned for issue 85 works better in 90. Um, that's just kind of things we find out as we, as we go along. So there's always the, the big, the big general, big roadmap. And then we've got, uh, kind of the immediate destination, uh, and much more focus and detail. So, you know, now that we're on the topic of issue number 50, I mean, like, the for those who haven't read it, it is like it rivals any turtle story ever. It's a fantastic story, like, and it's the perfect 
like build up of confrontation that like it it took a long time to get there but it never felt like it was forced to get there which was an amazing story to tell years to like years in the making it was great yeah thank you i mean that's that's we really have a luxury in that uh we knew that the property was stable and was going to be able to go uh for for a few years at least uh an hour now we're well past that uh but that's that's a huge luxury that you often don't have in comic books and so you're able we were able to seed ideas and characters that uh that would germinate over uh over several years and i think that's uh, I mean, not not to toot my our own horn, but uh, I do think number fifty was very effective, and we're all proud of that book. And I think it's a good culmination of those first four years. Um, but but we're lucky in that we're working with a property like Ninja Turtles that is well known, has a has a strong fan base. Um, we're lucky that we're able to use uh, Kevin Eastman on it. Um, so we're we're really lucky in a lot of ways, uh, and I think I think that luck uh, shows in end product of number 50 oh it, it totally does i mean I, I i was impressed by a number of things i mean the fact that you guys had a shredder with a, a a some semblance of honor was i don't think something we've seen before yeah that's something that was really important to us is uh is we want to make is we always want to make sure uh you know villains aren't just in especially with someone like crane or shredder it'd be very easy to default them into sort of stereotypical uh, mustache twirling villains uh, but the fact that we are doing a monthly comic book uh, and that you know these characters do have history uh, so we're able to build on that history it's not like this is the first time we're introducing these characters so I think because of that uh, there's some things we can kind of do in shorthand and then we can quickly move past that shorthand of the characters uh, motivations or desires uh, and get into get into new territory new grounds sense to us that uh ish, you know Rokusaki who had this long history in feudal Japan uh with with uh Amado Yoshi Splinter uh, it all made sense to us that that you know he, he would be uh he would he does, he's not pure evil he does have some semblance of human in him um so that that to us felt right and it felt satisfying uh it was a way to have him give closure to that villain uh with with some yeah, it was completely different because you would expect Shredder to be, I mean, you'd expect him to be a little bit more one-dimensional, and he has a semblance of honor, especially when he goes out, which was amazing. And yeah, well, I think, I think uh, just to talk about I mean, what I was saying about building what came behind, uh, in the past, you know, number 50, that, that ending scene, we very much had the original Mirage uh, Turtles number one in mind, where they defeat Shredder, and you know they hand him a sword to say, okay, you know, please end yourself with dignity uh, and commit, uh, uh, you know, seppuku, uh, the, the ritual suicide. Um, and so in, in that, in the original, Shredder takes out like a bomb and is like, no, you guys, F you, and, uh, you know, throws the bomb at him. So we didn't want to hit that exact same beat again because it's been done. So uh, we had him, we had him presented with the same opportunity and basically took the other track. Um, so that's a good example of, that was, a, that was a really good story decision, but had we not had the alternative already presented before us, maybe we would have done the same thing, you know? It's, it's hard to say. Uh, so Kevin always said about the people that came before him that, uh, the art, you know, the artists that inspired him and Peter, uh, artists like Jack Kirby and uh, Frank Miller, 
uh, Kevin Woody say, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and that applies doubly uh, to, to Tom and I and, and the artists on the series. Well, yeah, I think it's, I mean, for, for people who aren't fans of the original Mirage comics, I mean, that's probably the most jarring thing is to find out Shredder's dead in issue one. Um, but no, talking about like, like you, you know, how you, um, chose the alternate path for Shredder, like, is there conscious decisions to not step on the toes too much of any other Turtles property? Or is it like, I mean, how is that, how are those decisions made? You know, I, I wish I could say there's some sort of formula, uh, that, you know, we say, okay, this was done then, this was done now. Equal, that equals this result. Um, really, we just we just feel it out in those mind uh, those mind melding sessions. Uh, we talk it out. We we say, we say you know what feels what be exciting. Um, so in, you know we're looking we're, we're I think we're definitely looking to do new things. Uh, we're using a lot of old characters and we'll you we use uh, like right now we're in the invasion of the Triceraton storyline and that's a storyline that's been done several times in different turtles uh, mythology. So, uh, and usually it's just the Triceratons, you know, they're coming in and invading, and they're bad guys. Um, and, and in our story currently, we're, we're, they've come to Earth trying to look for, for sanctuary, uh, and, they're, and they're perceived as enemies, when really they, they're coming in peace. Um, so, so it's a kind of a combination of what feels right and, and doing what feels uh, new in the context of what's old. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll often take something that's familiar uh, so a reader, a reader who's familiar with turtles will say, "Okay, it's this storyline. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I, I love Rat King, or I love Baxter Stockman, so I'm excited about the storyline." But then we try and do something new uh, with that. Um, I just mentioned Baxter Stockman, and uh, every every convention we go to, someone says, "Hey, when is Baxter Stockman gonna turn into a fly?" Uh, and I and I readily say now, as I say then, it's never gonna happen. It's just it's what it's what it's what's expected. Uh, and it's just not something we're interested in doing in our book, as long as we have something that is we think is more interesting uh, to explore. Um, so hopefully that keeps the book interesting and different. Um, so so I think uh, audiences always really like when they are expecting something and then it's it's tweaked or changed and something new comes. Uh, so I, I, that's that's our general approach is to to do what feels right to us and uh, and tweak tweak what came before us. Now, is there any stories that you've kind of purposefully avoided or put off on doing because it was too familiar? Um, I don't. I, I would say there's things we, we we put off because it just didn't feel right at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of things that uh, are examples of that are we didn't we didn't introduce Bebop and Rocksteady. Uh, we kind of hinted at them, but we didn't formally introduce them until issue twenty-five. I think a lot of people expected us to do it uh, a lot sooner than that. Same thing goes for Leatherhead, who uh, debuted post fifty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part part of it is we want to kind of space out those major villains, so uh, so we could get that that new you know the new excitement around them uh, every every few months or years. Uh, and then part of it was just you know it didn't it didn't really feel right. Uh, it just didn't feel right to to include them earlier than that. Uh, so yeah, you know, by this point we've hit uh, most of the major uh, team and T characters of lore, uh, but it was important to us. Uh, but you know, that's again, that's we're seven years into the run of the book. Um, it was important to us for not to just 
bring out a character just to bring out the character because they're a fan favorite. We wanted to make sure we had an idea that uh, we were both excited about, uh, and that was new and different, and most importantly, uh, fit for the story. I gotta say, now that you bring up Bebop and Rocksteady, I mean, I've been a fan of Turtles forever. They're, like, I'm, I was born in 85, so there's not really a time I remember pre-Turtles. Um, but your guys' take on Bebop and Rocksteady made me, like, kind of re-fall in love with those characters in, like, a whole new way to the point where I'm, like, even more, like, even when I'll rewatch the old cartoon or anything like that, there's something about your take on those characters that's maybe my favorite thing you've ever done is making them fun and so much like their originals, yet still incredibly threatening. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, thank you. That's I think we're proud of our take on that, too. And uh, and that's something fun to do, is to take old, old silly characters and, and make them, and still keep them at the core of who they are, but make them relevant. Uh, make in, their, in the case of Bebop and Rocksteady, make them dangerous. Um, and, you know, and for us, it's, it's, it just made sense. You know, what's, what's, you've got a mutated rhinoceros and warthog who are extremely powerful don't know their own strength but they're still dim dim bulbs so to speak so and that makes them more dangerous because they don't know what they're capable of completely uh and they're also just you know kind of sadistic dudes um and and i really have to give a shout out to uh you know i think we've done a great job with them in the ongoing but uh my favorite interpretation of be about rock city are the are the different issues done by dustin weaver and ben bates uh they did the first micro series with them and then uh a couple years ago uh did our mini series bebop and rocksteady destroy everything mm -hmm. i just love their take on those characters because not only do they present them as what we just described dangerous and and stupid and funny but they also find a heart to them uh they're the ones that really kind of uh home in on the fact that these guys are outcasts uh but together they're brothers they're they're not outcasts to each other um and there's this love and respect between them and this great friendship uh so you know they're 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 terrible characters you don't want to root for them but part of you kind of does um and that's and that's when you know you got something good when when a villain or a hero um has has those shades of gray that uh that make the character deeper and also more relatable i mean it continues a great tradition because i mean like the uh, I mean the Nickelodeon cartoon, which just recently ended, uh, one of their final episodes had their Bebop and Rocksteady swan song, and it was done beautifully. And the original Archie comics had those two kind of like, kind of opt out of the whole evil, uh, evil villain thing, and just kind of not want to be bothered with it at all. Yeah, go to that go to that planet where they can just chill and be themselves. Yeah, absolutely. That's that was that was uh, that's one of my favorite aspects about that series too. Yeah, it's just it was a cool like take, and you guys have continued where it's like really like they have that like I don't know if heart's the right word, but like yeah, there is a companionship, and they're fun. Like I mean, your book is a, I mean like there's more comedic interpretations of the turtles, and there's heavier interpretations of the turtles, and I think your book is on the heavier end of that. But you guys have had some great opportunities for fun stuff, and I'm thinking specifically of Bebop and Rocksteady destroy everything and Dimension X, like. Some things that are like are lighter, but don't disrupt the the continuity of the book either. Yeah, I, I think that really is another thing that speaks uh, hugely to uh, to the popularity of the of the property is that you can do everything in it. It can be it can be funny, it can be deathly serious, it can be absurd. Um, you know, it's it, it can be melodramatic, and all that is sort of in the title. You got you know ninjas, but you've got mutants. Mutants are weird. You got teenagers, so you got some melodrama. Um, you know, 
it's it's just a weird property that that covers such. You can do space stories. You can do street stories. Uh, it's just uh, it's an incredibly flexible uh, property, and that's that's why uh, I think it's fun to read. But just speaking personally, uh, it doesn't doesn't get boring just because you know. Say we're doing we have a big. Uh, you know, brawl on the streets, you know, nitty gritty gang war type thing. And then we can follow that with something that's completely opposite out in Dimension X and there's weird aliens. Uh, so it, it's always, it, it kind of refreshes itself. And that's, that's always a lot of fun to work on. Was there any acknowledgement? So I thought when I saw Out of the Shadows, which is, you know, take it or leave it as a movie, but I, I love their Bebop and Rocksteady, but I loved it because I thought that this is the IDW bebop and rock city i mean did you guys kind of feel the same thing when you when you saw the movie yeah i think there's i think it's you know it's hard to tell because i think there's also um uh elements of that in the in the 2012 show too and so it's 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 one of those things is i you know is it just in the is it just in the zeitgeist uh because as far as i know um you know i I don't think the the cartoon uh or and certainly into a bigger extent the the movie because that was uh you know the the show is done by Nickelodeon, but the movies was really uh, you know controlled out of house uh, per se. Um, I also want to uh, disclaimer that I don't know what I'm talking about here. I, don't, I know about the comics. You know the movie was really you know done by, uh, on its own. Um, so so in terms of different similarities between the characters, uh, I don't know if there's any. I'd be surprised if anyone was reading our comics that worked on the movie, uh, but. But maybe. Um, so I think it's just one of those things where it's one of those things where it makes sense. You know, you want you want the character you want characters like Bebop and Rocksteady to be stupid and funny, but you also want them to be an actual challenge for the turtles. So I think I think it all just kind of makes common sense. True. True enough. Now, I'm, next, I'm going to turn to what I think is the most, and you have a lot of great original characters, as Kitsune and a handful of others, the Pantheon. But to me, the most dynamic, interesting, original character for your book is Old Hob. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, I don't know if you want to talk at all about him, but, I mean, like, I was just, I'm really impressed by what you guys have done with that character. Yeah. You know, there's sometimes, um, there's sometimes just characters that just kind of come out of the ether and work. Uh, Old Hob, I think, originally, uh, back, you know, we talked about, when we were talking about getting the license, um... We, we talked about uh, just having a new character, a new mutant uh, that would, again, you know, kind of set the series apart. Um, so we don't want to lead off issue one with, with Shredder. Uh, and it was, it was editor-in-chief Chris Ryle, Chris Ryle at our company, um, who I think just came up with the idea, of, you know, what about a, you know, some mean alley cat as an enemy? Um, and then Tom just took that and ran. Um, and, you know, he was just very much, uh, you know, uh, just to kind of a stooge villain at the start, you know, he had his little gang, he was mad at the turtles. Um, but he's someone who, and we were never, we never were like, okay, let's, let's change track and, and make Hop cool. Let's make him, you know, multifaceted. He's a character that really just kind of naturally evolved from issue to issue from, from year to year. Um, and I wish I could say it was something that was really, uh, you know, um, premeditated and planned and that we have this whole character arc for Hob, but uh he's a character that just kind of never never went away uh we just always he always seemed to fit in whatever in the stories he's in um and then gradually you know gradually looked at him and we we looked at what we established that he hates humans 
that he's kind of got a inferior inferiority complex that he, he you know wants to have his own family uh, that he they never had for himself so he kind of wants to create his own family um, so kind of by year two when the, by the time those building blocks were set up we kind of thought okay he could be he could be an interesting leader for the mutanimals who you know the group that we were creating into the mutanimals which is you know they're not they're not completely good guys like the turtles, but they're definitely not bad guys. Um, so they're, they're kind of uneasy allies, and you know that. So that there were after year two, there was sort of, we sort of more uh, concretely started planning his story arcs. But at the beginning, um, you know, he was he was just a bad guy and with no, nothing no real nothing really beyond that. We thought he looked cool with an eye patch, and <laughs> that was about it. Um, so no 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 secret story there, but just one of those rare characters that works and. And you follow you, you follow him as opposed to the other way around, other way around. Yeah, I mean he's come about. It does seem very natural the way he's come about. And like I, Mutanimals book is another example of like getting that lighter mood and more fun. But also their mission is in, incredibly like important, especially to Hobbs, like to the old Hob. Like it's just a, I don't know. It, it's that whole arc they've done with Mutanimals has been really interesting, and it's so different from other takes in the Mutanimals where it's just like. All right. Well, we just want another mutant team, right. and now it's yeah. like this one's really interesting. Yeah. No. Well, thank you. That's uh, that was uh, on purpose and, and something we're trying to do. Um, and uh, if anyone's reading uh, or listening and, and wondering, uh, you know, wait, where where are Hobbit animals? Because they've been a little absent recently. Uh, you'll get a nice tease of them on the last page of issue eighty, which is the last issue of the invasion invasion of the Triceratons arc. That'll kind of give you a, a hint as to where. Uh, they're going as characters. Do you guys get a lot of clamoring for a Mutanimal series? Uh, we do. We do on occasion. Um, I do. We do get letters about that in Ninja Notes. Um, you know, the the, the Mutanimals mini series that we did sold fine, but it wasn't it wasn't gangbusters, so it wasn't something obvious that we should do as a continuing uh, story arc. Um, but hey, I, I hope it shows that we love those characters, and that's why we keep them around and uh, and want to see more of them. No, absolutely. I, 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 everything you guys have done with them has been great, and and Slash has been covered beautifully through the Mutanimals, and like I'm sometimes I'm like a, a little bit overly nostalgic, so I'm like always like, oh well, why did they introduce X new character instead of Pandacon? And then I fall in love with the uh, Herman. Like I, I just like there's great characters that I like. I, I not only don't want to like them, but I'm just like, oh well, there could have been filled by X nostalgia character, and then you have great new characters come about through that. Cool, yeah, and uh, you know, if, if there's a character uh, you haven't seen yet that you love, it, it's a, you know, I think it's probably a good, a good hunch that we've discussed them and and at least have an idea of where they might be able to be put down the line. Um, so, so yeah, but I mean, again, like we want to if the mutanimals, if our mutanimals was the exact same as the Archie mutanimals, uh, I think you know you wouldn't have that novelty, you wouldn't have those new characters to explore, and you wouldn't have those new dynamics. So. It's, uh, it's something that, at the end of the day, we, we kind of just write for us first, and if we're entertained by what we're doing, and uh, we're feeling like what it works, we, we hope that translates into the, the wider world. But uh, yeah, it's a lot more fun for us to have a mix of old and new. Yeah, I mean, and you guys did a really interesting take on um, on uh, Dreadmon recently, like, just really good stuff, like, that you don't see coming. Like, I didn't expect to see Dreadmon maybe ever, because it's just such an obscure character, but I was really happy with that. Now, going, you know, I'm going to go back quickly to the beginning. So, for the people who don't actively read the comic, the 
Turtles in this version, there's a reincarnation story, which is a completely new take on the Turtles. Um, they died in um, the, the the sons of Hamato Yoshi back hundreds of years ago, and Shredder killed them um, off, and they were reincarnated in modern day. Uh, how did that story come about? Uh, that, that, I think, is what really uh, set Tom's uh, original proposal uh uh, what really, what really made it work for uh, Nickelodeon and, and everyone? Um, you know, there's there's lots of things that about the book that I think we could say is, is a group effort, but uh, that that aspect of it that just came 100 percent from Tom. Um, you know, it was his it was his idea, and that's something that uh, that you know we, we knew was going to be a curveball, and we could we could see that you know this might piss off oh this might uh you know anger a lot of fans. Uh, and so, you know, we, we weren't sure about it, but we wanted to go for it just because it, it just, it, it opened a lot of story potential in terms of, uh, the, the history that Splinter and Shredder have with each other, uh, explaining, you know, why, why they're so familiar with, uh, ninjutsu. Um, it, it just, it, it seemed to open up a lot of, uh, narrative possibilities, uh, while being different and cool. So if it was just different and cool to be different and cool hey, maybe we would have done that. Uh, but what I, I got really excited about it uh, is, is it, it opened up a lot of story potential for me. And uh, pretty much uh, from from that uh, issue number five where we talk about, uh, where we introduced the reincarnation aspect, that's, once we were done with that issue, I immediately started thinking about uh, the secret history of the Foot Clan miniseries. And, and oh. it seemed like there was a whole world to explore in their past there. Um so, so that's the type of thing that it's when you get excited about the story potential of, of something and it seems kind of new. Uh, that's 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 those are the type of things that we try and embrace and really run with. Yeah, I mean, is, have you got, did you guys face any backlash from that from like hardcore fans? Not really, not as much as we expected. I think there's a couple people here, here and there who, who say, "Ah, oh, that doesn't make any sense," or you know, "I love I love the original." You know, it's funny, like, you know, it's a ter- series about mutant animals, but, like, one thing that always kind of, like, bugged me about certain, not, I don't say bugged me, but, like, about certain versions was the idea that the rat pre-mutation would have learned ninjutsu and stored it away in his rat brain. Whereas I I, I kind of liked certain takes where he was a human first, just because I was like, alright, at least I buy that he was a ninja, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's one of those things where it totally makes sense. You know, it works. It works fine for me. I think for most people in the context of that first issue, uh, just because it's so out there and crazy. Um, but it's also something that, yeah, you can see. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not that reincarnation does, or or anything. But uh, you know, it's it, it, it was it was a couple a couple narrative jumps you had to make to fully embrace that if you're looking at it closely, which is something you're going to do when something becomes a big giant property uh that's beloved by millions um so you know i mean that's i think i think that's you know when kevin and peter first created it i know for a fact that they they didn't think it was going to go anywhere they just thought it was going to be kind of a laugh and they're going to be lucky to make their money back on their initial investment um so i guess i'm kind of rambling i don't know where i'm going with that but uh i think there's some things like that uh which are just kind of intended for you know, to be one and done in that, in that first issue. Um, and I'm, I'm always curious if, if they would have done it differently had they known what Turtles was going to evolve into. But uh, that's that's a question we'll never know, I guess. True, true. Um, another, one of the other last things I want to cover with you is, is Splinter. So much like uh, your Shredder was Shredder with Honor, Splinter is darker than he is in any other version. I mean, for those who haven't caught up... Um, in issue number 50, Splinter takes over the Foot Clan, which was a radical change. He he parts ways with his sons. Now, um, I mean, you can argue that Splinter is a character in this version who, with his sons being executed hundreds of years ago, has seen a lot more than the other Splinters has. But, like, Splinter was much darker in this version. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that is a, that is a result of... Uh of the reincarnation storyline, the fact that uh, both he and his family were killed by Shredder. Um, you know, any parent, their 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 prime, their foremost goal is to protect their children. Uh, and so, uh, Mato Yushi really, you know, lived this nightmare, uh, and he has somehow come back to to life with with this knowledge uh, that he had, that he failed in that task of protecting his family. Um, his entire family, uh, you know, his, his wife and his children. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's easier to write uh, Splinter as this loving, you know, sometimes wryly funny character. Um, but uh, it just made sense in the context of our world that, uh, that all the decisions he makes are influenced by the fact that he saw his children be killed. Uh, you know, he was the last one to be killed. And, uh, and so he saw that happen before him. And that's that's a that's a gravely traumatic uh uh thing that will stay with you for <laughs> the rest of your second life as it were <laughs> um and so you know i have occasionally read uh read story read comments where it's like ah you know splinter is really going off the deep end he's really turning evil um where in our mind it's it's everything he's doing even though he's pushing his 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 uh sons away and that's that's by design uh uh, both Splinter's design and ours is that you know he, he knows that he can't keep them safe, um, so he's gonna do everything he can to keep them safe. But at the same time, uh, you know, try and try and keep them away from danger. And, and right now in the storyline, uh, that means keeping uh, them away from him to a degree. Uh, and yeah, I mean that's just uh, the first fifty issues were just uh, the turtles running for their life and trying to find a way to survive with this madman after them and, and the world you know, being, trying to take over by, by Krang. Um, whereas, whereas this kind of post fifties, of course, there's many characters that want to kill the turtles and there's many characters that, you know, want to, 
uh, enrich themselves. But uh, what are a lot of what uh, number fifty one to hundred is about is um, you know what what happens when you have a moment to to breathe and take responsibility for yourself, and so that applies both to uh, Splinter uh, and having being in a position of authority and uh, the turtles kind of being on their own for the first time out of their out of their father's uh, out from under their father's wing so uh, and, that, and so that's and that to us that's a lot of new stuff I think in turtles is that turtles tend to stick under the mentorship of, of Splinter and kind of you know stick to those those classic tropes that are introduced in the cartoon uh, so it's really it's really fun it's fun and challenging to be in a period in our run where we're kind of past. We've kind of gone past uh, a lot of the charted territory of TMT, uh, especially now that we're doing things like Dimension X and uh, and the Visions Triceratons. Uh, it's fun to even be past those iconic stories now, really going into into the unknown. And we've got a couple more iconic storylines uh, we're going to hit, but uh, it's going to continue to to more and more become its own thing and and. Uh, and be and be independent of other media. I think. Well, I mean, it's been an amazing ride so far. Um, I mean, I want I wanted to ask one other question about um, about leading from dark darker Splinter. Uh, you, I'm or at least just compliment you guys on this. Um, I'm a Donnie guy. I've always been a Donnie guy. But your guys' take on Michelangelo following that arc was like moving to me. It was fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, it, it's a combination of different things. Uh. In the first year, I, we kind of had more of a focus on Raph and how he was separated from his brothers. Uh, then we had a focus in the second year. We had a focus on Leo and becoming Dark Leo. Um, then we had Donatello. Obviously, uh, you know he he was almost killed by Bebop and Rocksteady. Um, so we, we kind of try and take these little uh, focuses on the characters, uh, at least for these first first four years. Uh, and then we came to Michelangelo. Uh, it, it's you know. He's he actually reminds me a lot of uh, of Tom Tom Waltz the writer uh, and just that he's so full of heart and he always sees the good in people and and wants what's best for everyone um, and so it, it that's 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 kind of naturally at odds with Splinter and the Foot Clan who you know Splinter wants what's best for everyone too but he kind of sees the being a father and coming from a different time period he kind of sees the world in a different way he sees it as a much more dangerous world where. You can't give people a second chance, and you can't uh, you can't be trusting so trusting. Um, so it's it's been interesting to explore uh, Michelangelo in that way, put him at odds with Splinter, but also have him come into his own and not just be the jokester. Uh, for him to be really sort of the moral compass of the tor- turtles, and to be someone who says we can't compromise on these things, otherwise we are villains uh, as well. Um, so, you know, he, he's the youngest of the turtles, and he's the silliest of the turtles. Uh, it was really important for us, uh, like we do with all characters, is to not make him one note, uh, to make to give him a greater depth and to say, okay, this guy gets it. He understands the world, but he still chooses to live his, his life with these views. And uh, and that's, you know, it's not always easy for someone like Michelangelo uh, or his brothers, but uh, it's, it's something that makes him a hero and, and makes him someone to look up to. I mean, yeah, I I was impressed by Mikey, and I was very much like on his side. I was like, "No, screw Splinter, he's gone crazy. Follow Mikey, like <laughs> he knows what he's doing." You know, I, I read things and I hear things that different other people I've heard, you know, still say, you know, Michelangelo really needs to grow up, and people, you know, I I, I see different opinions on all of our different characters, um, and that's that's great. I mean, that's that means that 
people are seeing different things in the characters and that they're that they're multi-dimensional so that that means uh we're doing something right so but you know it's we we love michelangelo uh here at idw so uh i'm glad to hear <laughs> you know he's working for you oh i mean it's a credit to you guys and they really like the depth and the storytelling that you guys have put into this i mean um my last question is uh who's your favorite turtle uh good question i think uh all of us you know, it, it's 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 choosing amongst your your children, and, and it's um, and you know, for me, I'll I'll kind of consider, you know, they're not they're not my children. I'll, I I kind of consider myself a uh, a crazy uncle to the turtles at this point, uh, my involvement. Um, so it, it's hard to pick, but uh, Leonardo, you know, I'm 36, so like you, uh, I grew up with the turtles. Uh, Leonardo was my favorite growing up. Um, I think only just because he had two swords, and that <laughs> seemed like the coolest weapon combination. Uh, but, but growing up, uh, but being an adult now, uh, he still really resonates to me. Maybe it's because I'm an editor and I'm the one that kind of has to herd the cats and, and say, okay, this is the direction we're going in. Uh, and, you know, meanwhile, everyone else kind of gets to have fun and, and, and joke around a little bit. Uh, so maybe I just, uh, I sympathize with Leo in that, in that being a difficult spot. But, uh, I, I think there's, I mean, there's, he's got a tremendous amount of responsibility on his shoulders and, uh, how he deals with that. Uh, I think is is interesting because he's going to do his best, but he's going to put sometimes too much pressure on himself, and uh, he's and he's still a teenager too. He's still growing up, so he's going to make mistakes as well. And so that's there's a lot of interesting stuff for that in in there for me. Well, that about wraps it up, uh, Bobby. I want to say thank you. Uh, this has been Turtle Tracks presented by the guys. A special thanks to the guys over at Turtle Flakes for um, our, my partnership with them. Uh, Bobby, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for everyone who's 